Well, I take it at uh, Drew's comments at the beginning that you do remember me. So, uh, you know, um, I did retire on July the 2nd. That's almost six months ago. And um, I had said then that that was my last sermon up here. I, I guess I was wrong about that. <laughs> uh, it's good to be up here. Um, you know, that day, uh, July 2nd, was a beautiful day. It was a wonderful day. I so appreciate all that uh, you did uh, to make it a special day for us. And uh, it uh, was just a, a joy for Susie and myself. Um, the next day uh, was July 3rd, and we drove up to Minnesota. And we were uh, going up to be back home. We we're both from Minnesota, and uh, we were going up to see family. So my wife has four brothers that live up there in Minnesota, and uh, we were going to go visit them. And on uh, July the 6th, uh, we went over to Ham Lake, Minnesota, which is where my brother Jim lives. Uh, my brother had uh, lived in Philadelphia for about 20 years. Uh, he was working for a large uh, propane gas company up there, and he had retired and moved back to Ham Lake uh, and bought a piece of property from, uh, is actually uh, his wife's dad was living next door. So he built this uh, property there, uh, and we were really excited about being able to go and spend some time with him and visit him. Uh, and, uh, and so it was just a delightful visit. We had a wonderful time with uh, Jim and with Jenny uh, and with um, their loved ones in the area. And uh, it was just a, a really, really neat uh, time. Uh, we spent the night there. Uh, and uh, at the next morning, uh, we actually um, had breakfast together. And it was just a, a wonderful time together. Uh, and it was, it was giving me a taste of being able to do this many times. You know, every time I'd go back to Minnesota, I'd get to be with my brother and make up for the time that we weren't together, that 20 years. Uh, and so I was so looking forward to that. And so we're having breakfast, uh, and then we said our goodbyes. And I didn't realize that that was the last time that I would see my brother. About two weeks later, he went into the hospital. He never came back out. August 23rd, he died. August 29th, I preached at his funeral. I preached from Psalm 90, which is what we're going to look at today. We read in verse 10 of Psalm 90, our lives last 70 years. Wait a minute. I'm 70 years if we're strong, 80 years. The day we buried my brother Jim, my oldest brother Dave turned 79. My brother Jim was 74. It's been a difficult year for the Lehman family. It started a year ago. On uh, December the 9th, last year, when Susie's sister, Patty, died, Patty Pritchett, part of our church family. 
She died unexpectedly. Um, she actually died of the flu, and she was a woman who was in great health, better health than us. Uh, so it was such a shock to see that, that Patty all of a sudden was gone. She was only 64 years old. Now, as difficult as it's been for the layman family, it's been difficult for us as a church family as well. Uh, Patty, as I mentioned, uh, we had her funeral here on December 29th a year ago. Uh, and then uh, several months later, Jamie Phillips died uh, in May. Uh, she was 65 years old after a five-year battle with cancer. Then Martha Avey uh, died in July. And then Susie Allen died in August. Um, I remember sitting back there uh, after Susie Allen had died and Denzel was sitting right about where Keith was. And uh, I gave him my condolences in this, uh, after the service. Uh, and within two weeks, he died. Denzel died two weeks after his own wife had died in August. Carolyn Conald uh, died in November. I think she was, what, 94, something like that. Hugh Smith, good friend of mine that I'd known for over 30 years, died in November. Bob Smith also died in December. And then Howard Hines, just a couple weeks ago. We had four funerals in four weeks here at this church, and nine over the course of the year. Now, that's just within the Faith Church family. Many of you have lost loved ones, uh, maybe recently, maybe in the last year, that weren't part of the Faith Church family. But my condolences to you for whatever loss you've experienced. Um, it's often a difficult time of the year when we come to Christmas because it's so often an awareness that there's a chair that's empty where your loved one used to sit. And they're not there anymore. We miss our loved ones, and they're gone. Psalm 90, verse 10 says, The length of our days is 70 years. If it's due to strength, it can be 80 years. Several of those that I've mentioned um, went way beyond the 70, the 80, even to the 90s. Uh, as individuals. Uh, they lived a long life, but others did not. Their lives were cut short. They were taken before we would have expected it or anticipated it. But as we reflect on our loved ones who are gone, it's essential that we remind ourselves of some basic truths about life that comes from this psalm, Psalm 90. I've entitled this message with a question. The question is, are you counting your days, or are you making them count? Get that from verse 12, which says, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Today, as you know, is December the 31st, 2023. Tonight will be New Year's Eve. Tomorrow, of course, is a brand new year, January 1st, 2024. And as we look back on the loved ones that we have lost, we also need to look forward to the future that God has for us, the days ahead. How are we going to live them? It starts with K. 
counting our days so that we can make them count. Let me give you a little background to Psalm 90. If you have a Bible, you might want to look at it. I'll be referring to it throughout the sermon. But in Psalm 90, it starts with a little superscript, which is a small, uh, it's in italicized, it's a little introduction to the psalm. And it says it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's a beautiful prayer. And it describes Moses as the man of God. In Exodus 33, we read that the Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Moses indeed was the man of God who heard words from God and gave God's words to his people. And he wrote this psalm, this prayer, as his conversation that he had with God. And it begins with these beautiful words, verse 1, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. God is our refuge. God is our dwelling place. He, that is God, is the refuge, the home, the dwelling place for the nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years without a home. He's our dwelling place. He's always been here. In all generations, God has always been here. From one generation to the next, to the succeeding generations, one after another, we place our statement of faith and trust that God is here and God is our refuge and God is our dwelling place. Verse 2, read, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Moses marvels at God's eternal unchangeableness. He is eternal. From eternity past to eternity future, God is the I am. He revealed himself to Moses that way and said, that's his name. I am. I have always been. I am now. I will always be. My name is I am. Is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the mountains, the earth, the universe. He cre existed long before creation. He always existed. He's eternal. Now, in contrast to the eternality of God, we read in verse 3 of the brevity of man's life. We're confronted with it in verse 3. With our own mortality, we are all going to die. He says in verse 3, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep, they're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, and by evening it withers and dries up. In contrast, to the immutable, that is, unchanging, immortal God, we are finite. God lives outside of time. We live within time. A thousand years is like a day to God, like a few hours in the night. Peter quotes this in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. He was saying it to those who were mocking him about the promise of the second coming. We live in time. We're limited by it. Moses describes our lives as dust. 
Our physical flesh, that is our bodies, will decay over time and they get buried in the ground and will eventually turn back into dust. Moses says, our bodies are like grass that lasts but a day before it withers and dies. Now, last spring, uh, Mike Balmore uh, came to Faith Church. He's an instructor with Simeon Trust, and he came uh, to teach a group of pastors in the area on how to preach from the Psalms. And I like the way he divided Psalm 90, so I'm going to use his outline this morning. It's very simple. Number one, life is short, verses 1 through 11. In light of the eternality of God that we see in verses 1 to 2, we see the brevity of our life. Life is short. How do you feel when you think about your time running out? You know, to visualize time running out, I have an hourglass. See the hourglass here? For those of you in back, you may not be able to see it very well, but the top portion of it has all this white sand and is going through the middle portion and coming down the bottom, the hourglass is, um, goes all the way back to the 1500s. Uh, and that was a way of keeping time. It's been around for centuries. Um, you know, oftentimes they would take an image of the hourglass and put it in the newspaper. They would draw this little image and they'd put little wings on it. What would they mean by that? You ever hear the phrase, time flies? You know? It's just fleeting by. Of course, it got replaced by the mechanical clock. I can see the clock up there. You probably have it on your watch or look at your phone. You can keep track of time many different ways now. But I want you to look at this hourglass and think about the sands of time will run out for every human life. How do you feel when you see an hourglass like this? How do you feel about the passage of time? How do you feel when you think, when this runs out, my life is over? You know, I wonder back in the old days if they actually had one of these up here, and it was like, when it's done, the sermon is done. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, this is called an hourglass. It doesn't last an hour, by the way. So when it runs out, that doesn't mean I'm done, just so you know. Verse 4. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. Verse 5, you end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. Verse 7, for we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. You know, Moses, the man of God, received the words from God to him. He wrote these words down in what we know as the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. Uh, and in those books that we read, we read about the holiness 
of God. And before a holy God, we have a sin problem, don't we? That's why God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He put them on tablets of stone. It was a Ten Commandments reminder of them, of God's commandments, and of the tendency that we have to sin against those commandments. That's why he gave to Moses the sacrificial system that every time they sacrificed an animal, it was in payment for sins. He gave them holy days like the Day of Atonement once a year where sacrifices would be made for the nation of Israel and the Day of Atonement was was designed to remind them of their sin and of their need for payment for that sin so that they could be clean before God. He gave them the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, and the Levitical priesthood who would execute these rituals and these sacrifices. He gave them the holy place, the tabernacle, the place where God would dwell, and even had a holy of holies in it that no one, no one could go into. And all the laws of the Old Testament were those which the people had to obey. It was a reminder of the holiness of God. God is holy. And this Torah, these five books of Moses that were written, they were written during this 40-year time period that they were in the wilderness. All of this was done while they were in the wilderness. And what we find out during that period of time that they were in the wilderness was that the holiness of God would often lead to the wrath of God. Because God hates sin. Now, you may be uncomfortable with thinking of God as angry or as wrath. Wrath of God is not a popular concept in our culture. It makes us squirm. If we're uncomfortable with it, I largely think it's because we don't understand the holiness of God, do we? We don't grasp that as we could. And we don't understand the extent of our own sin. If we could really see the holiness of God and see our own sin, we would understand the reason for the description of God as one of wrath. But the shortness of our life, the brevity of our life, 70 years or 80 years, is actually a reminder of the wrath of God. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. Death entered into the world as a consequence of sin between Adam and Eve. And because of death, it permeates mankind. Everyone is under that same experience of their days being numbered. So the shortness of our life, that life is short, 70 years or 80 years, maybe 100 if it's due to strength. Nevertheless, every human being who dies is evidence of God's judgment on humanity when death entered the world. Now here in Psalm 90, God's judgment was on the nation of Israel. Moses describes a nation wandering in the wilderness under God's wrath. We read that in verse 9. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years with a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, we quickly pass away. 
and we fly away. We fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? He says in verse 11, your wrath matches the fear that is due you. When you read the story of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you know, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you can see that what Moses is saying in this psalm, oh my goodness. The nation of Israel in that 40-year period was on a funeral march, was on a death march. They were dropping like flies. A whole generation of men were dying off. You know, if a guy was 30, he could do the math, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70. I can't live past 70. If he was 40, he could do the math, 50, 60, 70, 80. I might make it to 80. But many of them never made it that far, did they? Many things happened in the course of that experience that would cut their lives short. But it was a death march under the wrath of God. Now, you can make a case, good case, for Moses writing this psalm toward the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. So this may actually be a prayer just before they get into the promised land. You're going to see a real turn of mood uh, in this psalm, starting in verse 12. Second half is a wonderful prayer that I could imagine God's people praying as they settle down in the new land that they're dwelling. But scholars point out that Psalm 90, again, Psalm 90 is in the book of Psalms of 150 Psalms. And the question is, why was it placed at Psalm 90, this Psalm that Moses wrote centuries earlier? Why is it here? If you notice, if you have your Bible open and you want to look at it, you can see that it says, Book 4, Psalms 90 to 106. So this psalm is the first psalm of book number 4. Psalm before that, Psalm 89, depicts Israel going into exile from the land and the end of the Davidic kingdom. I noticed reading that this morning, this actually has in there, life is short. The point right there is Psalm 89. What I'm getting at is that they were in exile as they come to book four. This is a response to Psalm 89. Psalm 90 is a response to Psalm 89. And as the people were going into exile, they needed to be reminded of some things about God. They were without a king. They were without a kingdom. What's going to happen now? And so they were experiencing the wrath of God's judgment as they were taken away to Babylon. They could have read verse 11 and understood the same thing. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. We are in Babylon as a consequence of our idolatry. The nation was taken away. Moses would have understood why his psalm was placed at the beginning of book four while Israel was in exile. He had foretold that the exile would happen as a result of divine judgment. The nation of Israel would experience great trouble due to their disobedience. So Psalm 90 
first psalm of book four, especially the last half of it, can be read as a prayer for God to fulfill his promises yet again in the future, to restore his people to their land, to put the descendant of David on the throne, to mercifully give his people the blessings of his covenant. Now, what was true for the nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? What was true for the nation of Israel as they were in exile for 70 years is actually true for all humanity. God is a holy God. Mankind is under his wrath. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All humanity walks this funeral or death march over a lifetime and dies. One by one, sooner or later, 70 or 80 or 100. These prayers can actually be prayers for all of us as we go through life struggles. Now, thankfully, when we come to verse 12, we turn the corner. In fact, I'm going to turn this over just as a symbol of that. Give me more time, right? Scholars see this psalm as a chiasm. It's actually it's a similar shape like this. The structure of the psalm looks like this. And verse 12 is the center point for the chiasm. It's the turning point. You know, I think the reason is uh, for Moses and for us, thankfully, God is more than just eternal. He's more than just a God of wrath. What we see now is that God is love, God is faithful, God wants a relationship with us. We see that in the remaining verses of the psalm. The, again, the psalm is a prayer. Moses prays this for his people. It's a very warm prayer, which leads to the second point. Live your short life wisely. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. If the mood of the previous verses is like a funeral march or a death march for the nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, you can imagine those people, either then or the people in exile, as just counting their days. You know, it'd be like if you were in the hospital and it was really a difficult time for you, you'd just be counting the days or if you were uh, in prison, someone who's in prison is just marking the wall of the days that are going by, and they're just counting them. So what does Moses mean in verse 12? Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. I think what he's saying is help us to live our lives, our short life, wisely. Help us to not just count our days, but make them count. There's a huge difference between the two. In fact, it starts with counting our days so that we can make them count. You just letting them go one day at a time? Or are you really thinking purposefully about how you live your life? Live it wisely. You know, when my brother Jim died in August, I had thought his wife, Jenny, might ask me to do the sermon for the funeral. And so my mind went immediately to Psalm 90. 
And the reason was is because my brother was the kind of guy that numbered his days. Um, my brother was good with numbers. I think math was his favorite subject. I'm terrible with numbers. I hate math. In fact, I probably have a math phobia. But my brother loved numbers, and he had a job working uh, where he would crunch numbers. So he actually was um, uh, head of compensation for a large propane gas company. It was the largest one in the country. Uh, and so he was based in the headquarters in Philadelphia. Uh, and they would often buy up smaller propane companies and just be part of this huge conglomerate. Uh, and he would be crunching the numbers of compensation for, for all of these changes that were going on for the employees and for the businesses and so forth. So he was always crunching his numbers for the company. In fact, I found out at the funeral that they called him the king of compensation at work. But he not only crunched numbers in his job, he was crunching numbers for his personal finances. And I would hear about that as we were talking about it. I found out, he told me, that uh, he had uh, spent $250,000 on the landscaping for the place that he lived in. I, wow, I got to go see this place. Um, but he not only crunched numbers for his job or his finances, he crunched numbers for his lifespan. He found out in his 30s that he was born with a heart defect. So he was always wondering how long he would live before his heart would give out. He told him, you're going to have to have surgery to repair this defect. And so at the age of 70, uh, he had open heart surgery to replace a valve in his heart. And I remember praying for him uh, the day before I called him. And I said, Jim, I know you're having surgery tomorrow. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And so I prayed for him uh, pretty intently. And at the end of my prayer, he says, man, you're good. And I thought, what? Haven't you ever had a pastor pray for you? Uh, so I prayed for him. And, um, and then he had his surgery the next day. When they opened him up, they discovered this huge aneurysm on his aorta that they had removed. Uh, oh man, wow, you know, I mean, it's like this big balloon that was ready to burst at any moment it would have killed him. So after that surgery, Jim lived counting his days because he didn't know how many days he would have. My brother was better than anybody that I knew at it. Uh, he wanted to count his days so he could make them count. And he did that by the way he lived his life with his family, with his children, uh, and with, with uh, those in his life. You know, we should count our days. You know, it says in Psalm 139, our days are numbered even before we're born. We just don't know how many we have, right? So we count our days to develop wisdom in our hearts. We can then live our short lives wisely. Now, the main application I would like to give from these verses for the next five minutes that I'm going to talk about this, is uh, verses 12 to 17. We'll go through these quickly. But I'm going to put it all on one slide. You can see that there. Uh, I want you to see how they tie in together. I know there's a lot of words on there. Uh, some of you might want to take a picture of it if you want to take a picture. Some of you want, might write it down in the time that we have remaining. Uh, if you don't do that, that's fine. You can just go to Psalm 90 and follow through it. But, you know, I always think about how we should pray Scripture. And uh, for me, what I do is I pray through a verse of Scripture. 
then I put it into my own words. And then after putting it into my words, I put applications of it uh, and I pray it through. And I would like to suggest that you make this a prayer for the new year. Uh, perhaps some of you could pray this kind of prayer tonight. If you want to pray at New Year's Eve, uh, if you don't want to do that, pray sometimes tomorrow uh, and pray through this prayer uh, or sometime during the week. Uh, make it a prayer for the year um, that you uh, really give this to the Lord and, and take these thoughts and really uh, embrace them. Number one, by your wisdom, help me to number my days and live them with purpose. There's a, a verse in the New Testament that really corresponds to this well. Let me show it to you. It's in Ephesians 5. He says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. If you have an older translation, it's actually translated redeeming the time. To redeem is to buy it back. I don't think you really can buy time back, right? Once time is lost, it's gone. So scholars usually interpret this or translate this, making the most of the time or most of the opportunity. You'll, you'll see that in a lot of translations. Making the most of what you've got, uh, redeem it. Make something good come out of it. Do something with it that is purposeful uh, and means something to you. If you look at Ephesians 5 as a whole, this uh, verse 15 is actually the first verse of a long section down to 21. Uh, and it really explains what Paul means by making the most of the opportunity. It's, it's living according to the will of God. Uh, he actually mentions in here, don't get drunk. So, which is a good reminder for New Year's Eve, right? Don't get drunk. Uh, he actually says, don't commit immoral sin, which is a problem in that culture. It's a problem in our culture of sexual sin. So he gives a lot of guidance here of what does it mean to live according to the will of God and making the most of the opportunity. I'll go back to the other slide and look at point number two. By your compassion, turn from your anger towards me and help me live as your servant. You know, verse 13 starts out saying, How long, Lord? How long? It's a cry of the heart. How long before this is over with? If you're struggling in some way, you would understand the sentiment of this prayer. It's actually a lament, uh, the language of lament saying, Lord, how long? Lord, help me. Turn and have compassion on your servants. Now, he described God's eternality and his wrath and the fear that is due him. The person that fears the Lord in verse 11, your wrath matches the fear that is due you, wants to be in a relationship with God and wants to please him. So uh, the fear of the Lord is a major theme through the Bible. This morning I read a quote, the fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness by John Murray. So now Moses appeals to God in terms of having compassion. You ever prayed this way when you're going through a hard time? Uh, past week, um, you know, having our grandkids with us and 
found out a couple of them came down with the flu. And so I prayed this prayer, Lord, how long? You know, oh no, Lord. And uh, we we got on Tamiflu right away. And so actually it was a good thing. It's probably why I can be up here this morning. Uh, and so we did well with that. Uh, but you know the feeling, you know, the feeling you have of, of, oh no, how long is this gonna be? What's this gonna be like? Lord, show compassion. Uh, turn from your anger towards me. Help me as your servant. Once again, he mentions the anger, and I'm wondering if it's related to verse, um, the earlier verse, verse 8, about our secret sins. You recall any secret sin that you wonder if God is mad at you about? You know, I uh, sometimes in my counseling office, I'll ask, when, when God is thinking of you, what does he feel? And sometimes a person will say, well, I think he's angry with me. Other times they'll think, well, I think he's disappointed with me. Or even more intensely, I think God is disgusted with me. A lot of times it's because of the secret sins that's mentioned in verse 8. And yet that's the wonderful news of the gospel. The gospel, as we go to the New Testament, is that God has taken away the wrath through the cross of Christ. So 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God removed his wrath through the death of Christ on the cross. When Christ died on the cross for our sins, it was a payment for our sins that removed the wrath of God. That's why Paul could say in the previous chapter in 1 Thessalonians 4, if your loved ones have died, you're, you will be able to see them again if they're in Christ. We grieve not as those who have no hope. We are no longer under the wrath of God. And so every time we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper like we do today, at the end of our service, it's rejoicing in what God has done for us in Christ and removing his wrath. He goes on, he says, By your compassion, turn from your anger towards me and help me live as your servant. We're his servants. We've been bought with a price. Christ paid that price for our sins, and so we are now his servants. And so now we can live in light of uh, point number three, by your faithful love. The word for faithful love there is hesed. It's a beautiful word in the Old Testament for covenant love. God's faithful love to you in Christ resulted in the new covenant which we celebrate when we take communion. His faithful love. Enable me then to enjoy my life. Wow. This is the huge change in the mood of this sermon. Wow. Enable me to enjoy my life. By the new covenant, by my love relationship with the Lord, I can now shout with joy. Look at this. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Many of you know that I'm a counselor and uh, I do a lot of reading in the field of counseling. Uh, let me just tell you, this is positive psychology at its best. 
Um, you know, you read positive psychology, it's all about how you can make yourself happier or joyful or enjoy your life. But so often it's devoid of a relationship with God, you know, just trying to do it on your own. But here, Moses is saying, Lord, you enable me to enjoy my life. Whatever struggles that I'm going through, pray through this. Say, Lord, help me see that it was worth the struggle. So what's fascinating about this is that we have both a lament and a rejoicing side by side. I just think that is absolutely fascinating that you can take a person who's really struggling with life and say, you need to experience God's joy in the midst of your struggle. You take a person who's quite happy and they may need to be reminded of what's not going well in life. It's not an either or, it's a both and in our experience. And then number four, by your visible work in my life and my children, may you display your glory. Let your work, verse 16, be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. You know, in my own prayer time over the years, I have often will pray and ask God for wisdom. And I, I actually do count my days. I actually have a planner that helps me count my days. And I, I actually write down uh, my responsibilities. I write down my schedule. And I ask God for wisdom. Give me wisdom on what the right priorities and how I spend my day. I also ask God for strength. Give me strength to live out what you have for me with the day that I have. But uh, in addition to that, we need to be praying that God would actually be involved and intervene in some way. God, show me your visible work in my life. Show me how you're working. Show me what you are doing so that I can see your glory. I can see what you're doing in our midst. And then finally, by your blessing, make what I do count for eternity. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Here again, we see a combination of two things. We see God's work. That's in the previous verse, verse 16. Now we see our work. And when he describes our work, he, the, the literal language of this is give permanence to Make what I do count for eternity. Make what I do last beyond my lifetime. You know, I took these five sentences and I put them on a card. And I'm using that as just a way of praying through it. Say, Lord, I want you, by your wisdom, to teach me to number my days. Lord, I want you, by your compassion, to to uh, enable me to sense that I'm truly forgiven and truly loved by you and that you're not angry with me anymore uh, and I can live as your servant. By your faithful love, enable me to enjoy my life. By your visible work in my life and my children and my grandchildren, may you display your glory and may what I do count for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for what Moses gave to us as a cry from the heart to make our lives count. 
that we're not just counting our days, but we're making them count by living in light of eternity. We thank you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.